So from, from verse 1 of chapter 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now then, will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, has, the, sorry, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the end of our reading. Right, perhaps um, some of you have been thinking about football this week. I know I have. I'm a Liverpool fan. It's been a great week. But it's only football. And if you're a Spurs fan, I mean, these days are even rarer. But it's still, it's still only football. And it's essentially not that important. It's the prem- end of the Premier League today. Perhaps people are thinking about that. Will it be Liverpool or Man City? Um, I know who I want it to be. But again, it's not that important. Perhaps you're thinking about work or exams, health, or perhaps Fortnite, for those of us who knows what that is. Um, Perhaps you're thinking about the news, Brexit. Uh, Obviously, there was the attacks over Easter. Uh, There was that tragic death uh, on the Greek island of Santorini. There's lots going on. But if you are distracted uh, by that, put it on pause for the next uh, half an hour or so um, to take a moment to think about perhaps the the biggest decision any, any person can ever make. Um, and that's uh, I want you to remember three letters this, this will all become clear uh, you've got HMS like Her Majesty's ships but different so right, remember that can you say that HMS can you say that HMS. with great enthusiasm that was beautiful 
Um, Before we start, let's pray for God's help. Dear Father, we thank you that you created everything. You created us, you gave us life, you sustained us to this point. We thank you that you love us and that you've shown this through your son Jesus. We thank you that we can read about this because you have made your Bible available to us. We thank you for Jesus and what he has done. We pray that you'd help us to learn and believe the things that we hear today and perhaps be changed. Um, All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Now, perhaps you've heard this question before. It's a famous question. Someone asked it to, well, didn't ask it to me, but we were talking about it earlier this week. Now, if you were to die tonight and you had to stand before God, why should God let you into heaven? Perhaps some of us have heard that question before. It's quite a thought-provoking one. It's a bit different to the football, isn't it? It's kind of higher, higher on the agenda. Now, many people you ask that question to in the UK would probably say, I'm a good person. You know, I do this, I do that. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm good, you know. Uh, I think God would let me in on balance. Um, I'm not a murderer, not a rapist. I don't steal. Some may even say I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. I help out at church. Basically, I'm a good person. The answer is HMS. There you go, HMS. So what does the Bible say? That's obvious, isn't it? We're Christians. If we're here and we believe in Jesus, we're Christians. So let's look at Romans chapter 10. Give you a bit of context. Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans probably, was probably written um, from Corinth uh, in Greece in about AD 57 uh, to, the, to a church of both Jews and Gentiles, a mixed group, much like um, believers here today, uh, people like us. Um, he's often concerned in the letter by Jewish sort of Gentile relations, people who followed the God of the Old Testament and those people who have become Christians later on from other backgrounds. And um, there seems to be some sort of tension because uh, the Emperor Claudius um, expelled the Jews from Rome in, in uh, 49 AD. So these two groups of Jews and Gentiles would have kind of grown up with, in isolation from one another. So Paul writes to the Roman church so that all Christians in Rome would be united by the gospel of Jesus, especially as Paul hoped to go there and then go on to Spain to preach the gospel. So that's a bit of context for you. So in the, in the passage, we see various repeated themes and words. Righteousness is mentioned, law, you know, heart is there a lot of times, saved, believed, faith, word, call, mouth, confess. You know, Lord is repeated a lot. There's a lot of different things going on. So perhaps um, it's worth sort of going through systematically and seeing what it says. Um, perhaps the biggest theme is this thought of the righteousness of God, which was in some of the uh, hymns we, we sung earlier how people can be made right with God, how they can have relationship with him. This is what Paul's concerned with. That's what I'm concerned with. So uh, the key verses I want to look at are verses 9 and 10. But in order to understand them correctly, we need to work our way to them. So verse 1, let's look down. Paul says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul tells his brothers, Christians, that his prayer and heart's desire is that the Jews may be saved. He wants what's best for them. Do we want what's best for the people around us? Do we have that same desire? Do we pray for them? 
Um, what, what he, he uh, wants leads to prayer. Do you see that? So let's briefly pray, because I think it's important to pray this now, and, and the Bible is directing us to do it. So let's pray. Father, we pray earnestly for the people around us in Camberwell. We pray that you would reveal to them the good news of Jesus. We pray that they would be saved. We pray not just for Camberwell, but for London, for the whole of the UK, for for Europe, for the world, Lord. We long for people to come under the name of Jesus, that they would see him as their Lord and Savior, that they would believe and trust in him for eternal life. Lord, we pray that now. Please save souls for your glory and their good. Amen. Amen. So verse 2, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Do you see that? Paul makes the point that many sincere religious people are wrong in their beliefs. It's quite hard-hitting, isn't it, today in this age where everyone's right. It's problematic when those positions are contradictory, isn't it, logically. Um, The Jews, they're they're sincere and zealous, aren't they? Two things, two traits that are very highly uh, praised in our postmodern culture. But it's a problem, isn't it? Because sincerity and zeal do not lead to salvation here. It doesn't lead to being right with God. Their knowledge was flawed. It was based on the right knowledge. Sorry, it was not based on the right knowledge about God. It was not based on the right way to be saved. They had zeal, but not the truth. It's kind of pointless, isn't it? And Paul, of all people knew this because before his conversion, he was zealous, wasn't he, for Judaism? He was a very zealous Jew. He understands this issue intimately. And this leads us to verse 3. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. So as many Jews did not believe in Jesus, they did not put their faith in him. They did not put their trust in In what he had done, they did not truly submit to God and the way he had provided for them to be made righteous. They were doing it on their own, weren't they? They were trying to be acceptable to God through their own efforts, on their own terms. They thought the things they do, rather than what Jesus had done, made them righteous. Do we think like that? I think, I think at times we do. I think I do at times. Do you feel really good when things are going good? Do you feel really bad when things are going bad? Do you see that, you know, that can be our self-righteousness? When we are feeling like good people, perhaps even good Christians, we start to take away from what is Jesus' glory, what he has done. And we take that glory and we give it to ourselves. And we give ourselves a pat on the back and we think we're kind of good people. That's kind of what's, what he's talking about here. Or do we essentially, I mean, I suppose if you, if you take that to the extreme, we start to think that Jesus' death wasn't enough. We start to think, um, we, we don't think Jesus was good enough. You see the problems that this brings if we start to do this. So let's look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's done. This is what Paul is telling us. Jesus Christ is the end, the goal, 
the fulfillment, the culmination of the law. He brought it to completion by fulfilling it perfectly, obeying it perfectly, unlike anyone else. Me, you, anyone in this room, in fact, anyone in human history. He did it. Because of this, if we are trusting in Jesus, we are no longer under the perfect demands of the law because Jesus has fulfilled it. For everyone who believes, it says. So if you believe, we're not under the law. If we are a Christian, it's done. The law is not binding over the Christian. We're free from its condemnation because of Jesus. Righteousness is available and belongs to anyone who believes in Jesus. We can stand before God justified. That's what Jesus does. Jesus is the end of living self-righteously. Do you see that? Thinking we are worse or better than others. No, we look and trust in what Jesus has done and live in response to him. We don't have to do anything. Jesus has done it. Um, Right. Let's look at verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. That's from Leviticus. Now, Paul quotes here from Leviticus 18 in the Old Testament, uh, which says, whoever keeps the law will attain life. But as Paul has already shown us, that life cannot come this way um, because we all violate the law. We all fail to keep it. In fact, by nature, we don't want to live according to God's standards and laws, which are for our good, others' good, and God's glory. The reality is we hate God's standards. We hate God's law. We don't want God to rule over us. That's what's going on in the heart of every human. We want to be in charge. And that brings us to verse 6, 7, and 8. Paul gives us a quote from Deuteronomy 30 here. The reason why Paul gives us this quote is to explain what the righteousness of faith is like. Originally, the quote is talking about the law, but here Paul uses it to show how actually it refers to Christ. I'm just going to read from, ver- uh, from verse 11 of Deuteronomy. You don't have to turn to it. For, the, for this commandment that I command you, command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you shall say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. Now, verse 6, and seven says, six, 7, and 8 says this, But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. See what Paul has done there? Paul says, no one needs to do any superhuman acts, like going up to heaven and bringing Christ down. God has already done it. He brought Jesus down into the world. No one needs to do it. No one needs to raise Jesus up from the dead. 
God has already done that. He has brought Jesus back from the dead. So basically these superhuman acts that are, that are talked about here, he's saying, look, you don't need to do that because the superhuman acts have been done by God. Because you can't do them because you're not a superhuman, you're just a human. Basically, Paul says, it's not difficult. God has already done it for you. No heroic acts are required. It's not like the Odyssey. Again, it isn't what about what, about what we do, you know. Uh, basically, Christ has done it. God has done it. What God requires of us is that we believe it. God requires faith in his gospel, and that is what Paul proclaims. That's what I'm proclaiming this morning. So what is this faith, this word of faith, that Paul proclaims? Well, in the Old Testament, the word, God's word, is shown in the law. Here, Paul takes it and reinterprets it in the light of the good news of Jesus, saying that it is the word of faith that we proclaim, that is open to all. The righteousness is gained not by good works, good deeds, but by faith in Jesus, and it's completely free. So finally, we're going to get, I say finally, we're finally going to get to verses 9 and 10. Now, this is, these are the heart of what, what it's about today. So my first point, don't worry, there's going to be three points. They're going to be quick, and then we'll maybe have a bit more after. But first point, the H. H. H is for heart. Let's have a look. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. The use of the word heart in the Bible is a little different from our understanding. It, it is not just the place where our emotions and affections reside, but it is where, also uh, where our will and intellect are. With our heart, we believe, we choose. It is not just an intellectual thing. But it, it is a deep inward trust in Jesus, at the core of our being, something that we willfully choose and believe. So H is for heart. You've got that? H is for heart. It's your first one. H is for heart. Believe in your heart. Believe what? That Jesus was raised from the dead. You see that? The resurrection is key to Christianity. Verse 9, God raised him from the dead. So we're to believe the resurrection. If we don't believe that, we're not a Christian. We need to believe in the resurrection. Christianity stands and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection shows God's approval for, for Jesus' work. It shows that through Jesus we can conquer death like he did. Linked with the resurrection is the truth that Jesus took the punishment for our sin on the cross. He took humanity's sin so that we can be right with God if we believe. Christians believe not just that Jesus lived, but that he still lives. And tied up with this is this sort of this hope for the future. There is hope with Jesus. No hope anywhere else. The resurrection proves not only logically the mechanism of salvation, it makes sense, but also it provides the means and evidence that we have life after death. So, heart, we believe the resurrection. Now, unfortunately, um, before Vicky and I went away to South Africa, uh, my aunt died, uh, my auntie Ruth. 
And um, it, I, was, I wasn't expecting the funeral to be particularly joyful, as many funerals aren't. Uh, but um, I, was in, I was encouraged. It was, it was a happier day than I was expecting. And that was in part because of the verses my aunt chose. Um, John 14, uh, verses 6 and 7 and 27. Let me, let me just share them. said this at her funeral last week. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away. And I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. Because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus said this before his death. He clearly knows what's going to happen, doesn't he? Jesus always knew what would happen at his death. He knew that he would rise and go to be with his Father in heaven. And in doing that, he has made a way for us to join him. We will will be with Christ after death if we trust in him. It's a great truth. Right, we've had our H for heart, believing the resurrection. This is our second one, our M. Second letter, M. M is for mouth. Not the best words, I apologize, but it makes sense. Uh, Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Do you see? It's quite straightforward, isn't it? Verse 9, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That's the earliest Christian confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Greek word kyrios is used over 6,000 times for the Hebrew word for Yahweh, uh, the covenant God, the relational God. And here Paul uses it for Jesus. By using it here, it is clear he is saying that Jesus is God. Confessing, speaking, saying is an outward sign It's evidence of an inward faith, a faith that Jesus is Lord. He is God. So do we believe in our heart that he was raised from the dead? Do we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he's God? People don't just believe. This thought of confessing with your mouth, what you to confess. You have to confess that Jesus is Lord. People need to believe that Jesus died on a Roman cross to take the punishment for our sin. That he died as our substitute, taking the punishment for our sin. Meaning, God now looks at us, if we believe this, and sees Jesus. That's the good news. 
They need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. That his resurrection shows God's approval for his work, giving us hope for the future. They need to believe Jesus is their Lord, and they need to live it. Our third letter is S. Now, stupidly, I was trying to think, how can you do that? H, um, I think it's S. No, S, isn't it? Um, Yeah, let's look at verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. It's also in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, and at the end uh, in verse 13 as well. It's repeated throughout the passage. It's all about salvation. S is for saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's H plus M equals S, you know, a bit of algebra. But save from what, though? What, what, what does the Bible mean? Um, well, it's talking about sin. Not a popular word today, but a word that is often misunderstood. Sin is not eating a bit of cake or being naughty. It's much more serious than that. By nature, we don't want to live according to God's standard. We don't want to live according to his laws, which are for our good, others' good, and God's glory. And so all the wrong we do is actually against God. Have you ever said sorry? Because you've done a lot of bad things against him. You've got a debt. And God is just. So he will never let sin go unpunished. There will be judgment and justice against all the wrong that has ever been committed in the world. But that puts us in a tricky position, doesn't it? Because we know deep down that we've all done lots of wrong. Um, We deserve God's wrath, don't we? Um, If we're honest, we know. If I I use this illustration, if I do one, two, three, three wrong things a day, just being very conservative, uh, about a thousand things in a year, live to be 70, 70,000 things, just being very, very, very conservative. 70,000 things that I've never said sorry for. You know, what, what do we think will happen? if those are ultimately rebellion against our creator who gives us life, what do we think will happen? His righteous anger against our wrong. So our our wrong and our rebellion, our sin, is ultimately against God. We have repeatedly wronged him. He deserves justice, doesn't he? If If we were watching it from the outside, we'd say, something's been... Thousands of wrongs against this guy. This isn't justice. If it, if it was a, a case on TV, we would be, you know, would clearly be rooting for God because he's never done anything wrong, has he? And this person, the accused, us, would have done multiple things. We deserve punishment. We, I, deserve hell. I don't love God as I should. I often live as if he's dead. We need to be saved from the consequences of our actions. We need to be safe from ourselves. And guess what? We can't do it. So you can't be self-righteous, which was what the Jews were doing. They were thinking that by what they do, they can be made right with God. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. We need help. So what are we saved from? We're saved from facing God's righteous anger and wrath. 
we are saved from the eternal punishment that we deserve and the separation from all of God's love and blessings. And we do this by, H, in our hearts, a private declaration. We tell God, M, with our mouths, public declaration, we tell people, tell others. People need to know you're a Christian. If you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. To be saved, we need to believe inwardly as well as outwardly. It isn't one or the other, it's both. Do we agree people need to know Christ? I think we do. Uh, maybe I'll at least uh, see some nodding heads. Do we, do we agree with that? I think, I think a number of us do. So people need to know if you're a Christian because you're the most important person in the lives of the people around you because you know the good news of Jesus because you know him. They don't. You know these three letters as well, HMS. You, there you go. You've got a little gospel summary there, heart, mouth, saved. Um, so let's look at the rest of the passage and then we'll conclude. Uh, so verses 11 to 17. Uh, help us see this all the more. Let's look at verse 11. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Trusting in Jesus, not the things we do, leads to salvation. Not shame, which here represents eternal judgment. Uh, 1 Peter 2, for some of us that might be familiar, that also quotes from here. Uh, Verses 12 and 13 says this. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This good news is for everyone, Jew and Gentile, me and you. For everyone who calls on him. God doesn't discriminate. He is truly egalitarian, even-handed, just, and fair. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. Have you asked God to be saved? You should do it. Best decision you could ever make. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. Excuse me. Paul gives the conditions required to call on Christ. The chain of events required for people to be saved. Look, Look down. He says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. One, first, a preacher is sent with a message from God. Two, they proclaim the message from God. Three, people hear the message from God. Four, people believe the message from God, or not. People will only call on Jesus if they believe he can save them, if they've heard of him. Uh, Belief in the good news of Jesus can only exist if there is knowledge of him, you see. And people only hear the, the good news of Jesus if someone tells them. That stupid quote that you hear often about Francis of Assisi, which I don't think he ever said, you know, you just do, do stuff and people will magically know the gospel. It's a load of rubbish. I don't think he ever said it. It's certainly unhelpful. Um, 
The devil loves that that rubbish is being spouted. We need to tell people. That's why Paul tells us from the Bible. That's why Paul spent his life going around doing it, and all the disciples and Jesus and all the prophets in the Old Testament. The people only hear the good news of Jesus if someone tells them. And the good news of Jesus will not be shared unless God sends someone to do it. I'm sending you all to tell people today after this. You can tell whoever you like. Just pick someone. Just tell them. HMS. Explain it to them. There you go. Fulfill this bit of scripture. From history, we know that that Paul spent his life spreading the good news until he was finally killed for doing it. Why did he do that? Because he loved God. It's an outworking, isn't it, of our love. If we love God, we'll do what he commands. And God had commanded him to do it. He also loved people, didn't he? Uh, He was convinced that their greatest need was to hear about the good news of Jesus. Are you convinced of that? Does that shape how you pray? Does that shape what you do? Does it shape what I do and pray? You know, this is challenging. Um, And then verse 15. Seems a bit strange. The beautiful feet. Um, For some of us who work for London City Mission, we might be familiar with a chap called Ali Gordon, who's an artist, who was an artist in residence, I think, at a time with LCM. And he did an exhibition of all of... He painted the shoes of all of the London City missionaries, the people in London sharing the good news, with this title, you know, based on this verse. Um, and, and it makes sense, doesn't it? If you've heard the gospel and believed, you love that someone came and told you. Their feet brought them there. So to you, you know, it's truly, they're truly beautiful feet, aren't they? Something that was pretty horrible becomes something beautiful. Hopefully I've got beautiful feet today, but you could have beautiful feet as well. It's a, an interesting visual. Something, you know, God uses anything, doesn't he? Amazing. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed, sorry, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Unfortunately, not everyone believes. People hear the gospel and make their choice. People need to respond in trust to be saved, but not all believe that. Not all respond. Well, not all respond in the affirmative. Everyone responds. So hearing the gospel is necessary for salvation, but hearing on its own is not enough. People must respond. And we all either reject or receive, don't we, the good news of Jesus. There's no middle ground no sitting on the fence. It's either one or the other. And if you know you haven't received, then you've rejected, haven't you? Which will you do? Which have you done? If you have rejected Jesus, I beg you to reconsider. It's not too late. There's still time at this point in time. But you don't know what's going to happen when you walk out that door. You don't know if Jesus is going to come back tonight. Don't put it off. It would be stupid to do it. So in verse 17, Paul gives us a little summary of what he has just explained. He says this, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. People hear the gospel, and they're saved. People can only come to faith by hearing the gospel. Jesus is the crucified, risen saviour. So in conclusion, if you're going to remember anything, remember H.M. 
S, that way. Uh, what it stands for, it's simple, isn't it? H plus M equals S. So H is for heart, believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. M is for mouth, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. S is for saved. If you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved from God's coming wrath, his righteous anger against all wrong, your wrong. God wants a relationship with us. And he makes a way to remove our wrong so that this can happen. So, so what's the gospel? I'm just going to run through a few things. Please listen, think, and respond. God is the creator. God made everything. God is the life giver and sustainer. He gave all of us life. God is perfect. He doesn't make mistakes. He knows everything, sees everything, and is in total control of everything. You can trust him. God is just. God will judge all wrong. God is loving. He has made a way. Jesus lived. He was born miraculously. He had many followers. He often hung out with the worst of people, prostitutes and sinners, tax collectors. Jesus performed miracles. He healed people. He had power over nature. He had power over evil. He had power over death. And he had power over sin. He forgave sin. Jesus taught... He was an amazing teacher, but the main thing he taught and kept teaching people was who he was and what he came to do. He was God walking amongst us, and he came to make a way for us to be acceptable to God by dying in our place. Jesus suffered. He was falsely accused, betrayed, beaten, mocked, and executed. He was slowly and agonizingly crucified, by the Roman military on a cross. But he did this willingly. He knew what he was doing. Jesus died. After his brutal flogging and crucifixion, he died and was buried. And Jesus rose. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Where is he now? Jesus lives. After his resurrection, he ascended into heaven to be with his Father. And that's where he is now. And he has sent his Spirit to to be with believers. You know, all who believe receive his spirit as a helper and comforter. So we need to be humble. There is nothing we can do. Please don't be proud. It's the worst of all sins in many ways. We sin. No one is perfect. We all do wrong. We are sinners. We deserve hell. That summary of sin, shove off God, I'm in charge, no to your rules. We all do that from time to time. And uh, we're subject to the consequences. Because of our sin, we will die. And heaven and hell are real. We will be judged. There will be a judgment. And Jesus is the judge. We all have a choice. Only you can make that choice. No one can do it for you. No one can make you believe. No one can make you choose. He asked you simply to call on him. We need to choose. It's urgent. Don't put it off. Um, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians. Today. Don't put it off. God is calling you today. Don't fear. Try it. If you lack faith, ask for it. I challenge you to ask God for faith. 
I challenge you to pray and ask for forgiveness. But know there is a cost. Things will need to change, but God will help you. Living with Jesus as your Lord will be hard at times, but it is true. He is risen. Jesus is Lord. If we believe this, we need to respond in obedience and faith, allowing Jesus to truly be in charge over every area of our life. Heart, mouth, saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will know and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one believes and is saved. So going back to that first question, so if you were to die tonight and you had to stand before God, why should God let you into heaven? He shouldn't, should he? shouldn't let anyone in. We'd ruin it. But Jesus has made a way for us. He's made a way for us to be able to go into heaven. He's done it. He's done the impossible, the superhuman we required. So you don't have to do anything but believe in Jesus, believe in him who's done it all. Now, I mentioned in the uh, introduction things that have happened over Easter, and for some of you, you might, might be aware of that, that crash in Greece. Um, I found out just the other day that I had a connection to the people that died, a couple in a dune buggy that, that crashed into a, a ravine. Um, there were only 25, 26 married couple, married two years ago, just down the road in um, Oval, um, and uh, the minister was actually her dad. He took the funeral, Steve Coulson, his name. And um, over, over Easter, they, this, this got a lot of coverage. I, I was away in South Africa, but I heard about it retrospectively. And uh, yesterday, it was their funeral. They had a joint funeral, two years, not, not long after being married, in the same church. And uh, her dad, uh, Steve, took the funeral um, of his daughter, Millie, and... Uh, son-in-law Toby um, and the BBC had on their website I looked yesterday uh, together in death as they were in life um, that's the BBC and further down on that the BBC's article there's a quote from uh, Facebook where someone had posted this a family, family friend family uh, member our loss of Toby and Millie is inconceivable something that will take a lifetime for so many to come to terms with but we are confident of the joy they are experiencing right now with Christ on high. We continue to grieve, but we will never lose sight of this certain hope. You see, they were Christians. They knew where they were going. They're together still, alive with Jesus. Death is a tragedy, but that's not the end of it. Now, if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus today, I'm going to read a, a prayer in a minute. And uh, if you want to pray it in your heart with me, do it. Um, if you want to reaffirm that, please do it. If you want to just agree with me at the end by saying amen, that would be great. But here is a prayer you can say to, to Jesus on your own. He promises to listen. Uh, in John 6, he says this, Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So let's pray. 
Dear Jesus, sorry for the way I have treated you, for ignoring you and not loving you, even though you've given me everything I have. I know I only deserve rejection from you. Thank you for dying in my place on the cross, taking my punishment and rising from the dead so that I can have eternal life with you. Thank you for loving me so much. Please forgive me. Help me to live my life in gratitude with you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen.